Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. What we've said over the last six, seven weeks is this. We've talked about family. We've talked about creation. We've talked about faith practices. We've talked about sin and salvation last week. I think it was we talked about human nature. If you have not or would like to hear or see any of these, you can go to the website and you can catch up and watch if you've missed anything. Um, There's some good content in there. Week seven is this. Now what? Now what do you do with it? I mean, we've been talking about a biblical worldview. We've been talking about what's being said. But, but there has to be some kind of action. And the action starts here. We have to look in the mirror and look at ourselves. Look, the, the, the Word of God is offensive to everything inside of me. Because when I put myself on the throne and I look at the Word of God, I, I get offended by what it tells me to do. I get offended by who it says I am. When I put Jesus on the throne and I look at the grace that comes forth from this word, I'm not offended anymore. I'm rejoicing when I realize that I deserve hell and God gives me grace. But at the end of reading his word or, or studying or doing what we're doing here now, we have to look in the mirror. We have to look in the mirror. And the mirror says this, six, six percent. Six percent. Now, there, there's an average here because I've seen as low as two or three percent, and I've seen as high as ten, but I'm going with the middle. Six percent. And here's what six percent represents. Six percent of evangelical believers in America today live and believe a true biblical worldview. I mean, it probably has something to do. There's got to be a connection with 37 percent of the pastors, but there's still a big drop-off. Now, what does that encompass? And I don't have time to get into all that, but everything from well, let's just start here. Acts 2.36, Jesus is Lord of your life. That's what it's talking about. Only 6% of believers, the church, you're the church, I'm the church. We have hands and feet. The church is alive. It leaves this door. You and I, 6%, truly believe this word, but not only believe this word, they live it. In other words, they believe that Jesus is Lord of their relationships. He's Lord of their sex life. He's Lord of their of their family. He's Lord of their marriage. He's Lord in every aspect of your life. 6%. Sounds low. <laughs> it's, and it is, though. You, you think in your mind, well, that can't really be a true stat. Well, I have meet with you guys, so I know it's true. <laughs> Come on. It's funny. I look in the mirror, and I know that it's true apart from God's grace. Daniel 3, one through there. Now, there's, a, there's a large bit of content here that I'm going to read, but, but it's, it's a foundation. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are the 6%. Now, my, my wife warned me before I got up here today because I did go to the University of Minnesota, which is the Harvard of the North, okay? But I got in because I was a hockey player, not because I could read. So she's, that, come on again, guys, stay with me. That's funny stuff. I'm pulling out my best material, and you guys are like, Dead as can be today. So I'm going to try to slow down my reading so I don't mispronounce words and skip words and do all the stuff that I love to do that got me through the University of Minnesota and was able to cheat my way through. Sorry. I was before 
Yeah. All right, let's look. Daniel 3. <laughs> We're going to start in 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There's, there's a key that you need to see in here in verse 5. It says, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. What, what, what do golden images look like? What, what is he talking about? I mean, we, we, we don't see, you know, golden images in the middle of the Washington Mall that have been constructed by our president. So then, then what does it look for look, and look like today? It looks like what we've been talking about. It looks like these worldviews that we've been going through. You want to know what the golden calves are? They're secular worldviews. A religion or religious worldview in which man is the measure. It's, it's syncretism. You remember syncretism, which is the amalgamation of different beliefs and thoughts and cultures in school, all mixed together, and you go, that's me. The golden calf looks like Marxist. Marxism. It's a political and economic theory that society has no classes. It looks like these are all that we've gone through. Moralistic, therapeutic, theism. Whatever is just, is just fine, it's, it, it's that what a person wants. Expressive individualism, humanism, the belief that humanity is capable of moral and self-fulfillment without belief in God. These are the golden calves that we are worshiping today. This is what is being constructed, and the world is saying something to you and me. Worship. Worship at the foot of it. And what it brings us back to is me. Individualism. Humanism. And saying worship yourself, because you are God. What happens when you don't bow down? It's a valid question. What goes on when we have Christians that go, no, 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 no. I'm going to stand and take a stand for what I believe. I'm going to take this word at its word, and I'm going to say, no, I can't do that. I cannot bow down. What happens when you don't bow down? Verse 8, therefore at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Does that sound familiar at all? Are we seeing this? In, you're this. Hey, Christian, you're a bigot. Hey, Christian, you don't get it. Hey, Christian, you're old-fashioned. You're, you're racist. You're whatever. I, I don't know if you've heard those things, but the world is coming forward, and they're making malicious accusations against the church, against us as individuals. It goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, stop right there. They had favor with the king. God had given them favor. Now the king is going, I'm on the throne. I'll dictate what's going on. Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Have you, have you heard that? Who, 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 can, who can deliver you? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that. I don't need to make an answer. I don't have to answer to you. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is critical to understand. These two key verses are about a, a relationship with Jesus. See, because here's what I found. No one's willing to die or stand or take a stand for religion. If people are drawing lines in the sand in, in, in society, if there's a worldview that is, is being preached, no one's standing and willing to take a shot or die for religion. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, what you and I have to do is look in the mirror. Do I have a relationship with Jesus? In the same way that I have a relationship with this woman right here. And if you come to this woman and you start tra talking trash to her, if you offend her, if you do something to hurt her, I'm going to be right there. Why is that any different in the relationship that I have with God, the creator of heaven and earth? Would you put up with that with your spouse? Don't all answer that. Please don't. See, you're getting better. Okay. See, the heart of these two verses screams relationship with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they had intimacy with God. Gnosko, they had this intimate knowledge of who he was. They experienced him and, and his spirit. And they said this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. You know what? But even if he doesn't, He's still God. Have you ever said that? Or is it self-preservation? Hey, God's going to deliver me, and when he doesn't, he, I don't know. If you don't save me from this, God, I'm done. These guys had a relationship, an intimate relationship. Look, my God is more than able to deliver me from this fire, but even if I burned to the ground. He's still God. That's a powerful, powerful faith relational statement that these men made that I'm not sure all of us can make, that I don't make all the time. Goes on, 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. An expression on his face 
was, was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Does that sound familiar? He was filled with fury. Does that sound familiar when the world looks at you and looks at us as a church and looks at, at a, a conservative view of what this word says that talks about sin? How mad do these people get? Have you ever had the conversation with someone who gets mad? Have you ever had or tried to have a conversation with someone who doesn't, who has a secular worldview, that has a humanist worldview, a view other than a biblical worldview. Have you ever had or tried to have that conversation with them? What happens the majority of the time is they're filled with fury. Let me tell you this, Christians, if you know Jesus and you believe him to be Lord of your life and you're the one getting angry, there's an issue. The security of knowing who I am in Christ Jesus goes, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to engage that. I'm not going to heighten this. I'm not going to take it to another level because I know who my God is. If he wants to burn me to the ground, it's his right. That'll mess with some of your theology. He is God and I'm not. Therefore, if he wants to burn this thing down, he has every right to do it. What are you going to do with that? You know what you got to do? You got to get off the throne. You better put Jesus on the throne. Because he and he alone is the answer. It goes on in verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he cast them into the burning, uh, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and tunics and their hats and their garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's orders were urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a sucky job. I didn't sign up for this. Just kick them in there, something. And, and verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into that fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Look at the change that happened. Servants of the Most High God. He was just building golden calves. He was just building idols. Now all of a sudden he says to them, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. This is, this is beautiful. The hair of their head was not even singed. Bless you. Their cloaks were not harmed. I, I love this last part. It's so, I don't have time to get it. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Thank you, Jesus. When you encounter the true living God and you get delivered from your stuff, your fear, 
your anger, your anxiety, whatever, when you get delivered from your past sin, your past life, there, there's no smell of smoke. And we have this whole bunch of Christians that smell like smoke and you're going, oh God, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the one that I see. Because the one that I read about in the scripture says there's no smell of smoke. There's wholeness. There's goodness. There's a happy completeness that I walk in. Because it says it here in the scripture. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. They did four things right here that are critical for us as believers. They trusted Jesus implicitly. Every aspect of their life, even unto possible death, they set aside a secular worldview. Said, I'm not going to stand in this worldview. The world says this, I'm going to stand in what this word says. They cared more about truth than their own lives, even unto death. That's a tough one. They worship Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Finish in 29. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of Babylon. God delivered them. God delivered them. I need to pray right here. I'm not done. Don't get up but I need to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope of this word. For these men and women, Father God, oh God, let us be a people that don't smell of smoke. Oh God, let us be a people that, 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 that choose truth over comfort. Oh God, let us be the hands and feet of Jesus in such a way that Lord, you're, you can deliver us, but even if you don't, you're still Jesus, you're still Lord. Let us understand and hold on to that. Lord, I pray now as, as we look in the mirror, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would speak to us, that still quiet voice. Maybe for some of us it's a loud voice. The Holy Spirit would stir up in us. In Jesus' name. As we, oh, Seth, can we turn that back? Sorry. Okay. Six. Remember we said 6% of all Christians living a true biblical worldview. Believing a true biblical worldview. You know why I believe that is? Because in the West, we have, we've, we've created this comfortable Christianity. We have, we've created this, this Christianity that just feels good. 
Let me tell you, I, I can't imagine that it felt good walking into the fire. And I'm not talking about being burned because I didn't get burned. I'm talking about, okay, God, I'm here. You can burn us down or you can save us. I, I, I can't imagine that it was comfortable when Jesus hung on a cross. I'm just saying. I can't imagine that it was comfortable when, when the majority of the disciples were murdered because of their stand. I can't imagine that it's going to get much more comfortable in this nation as we move on. In fact, I think it's going to go the other direction. And, 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 and what my job, what our job as a pastor of this church is to go, look, guys, we've got to look at the mirror. We've got to determine, are we the 6%? Because if you're the 6 or excuse me, the 94%, because if you're the 94%, I'm telling you, when the difficulties come, as things get hotter, as the fire is stoked seven times, you won't stand. You won't stand. And, and it's, it's, it's my job as, as pastor through the power of the Holy Spirit to at least to inform you, to have you look, to be equipped, to, to think about and not walk out of this place and then show up two weeks later. And, and it, there's my joke, okay, twice a month. And show up two weeks later and, and go, oh, this is nice. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that people are dying and going to hell apart from relationship with Jesus. I have the answer. The Word of God. Comfortable Christianity is an epidemic today. The word comfortable it, it, it means this, a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. A state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. Well, let me, let me tell you, uh, when I look at this scripture, when I read this scripture, there's these boundaries around my life. But here's what you got to get right. I was sitting with a bunch of buddies, some hockey guys, uh, it's a couple weeks ago, and ah, you know, that, that old argument, ah, God just wants to ruin your fun. I want to go to hell and drink beer with my buddies. You ever hear that one? You're like, you're a dumb person. <laughs> I did say that in that locker room. Sorry. And it is a biblical word. That is true. It, I'm like, that is just the most the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's, it's this right here, that comfort. I don't want to be restrained. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do, and I don't want to hear you tell me I can't do it. And what's funny is that's a biblical, humanist, biblical, or humanist, secular worldview. But it's seeped into the church and has become a comfort area in the church. Well, I can run to church on Sunday twice a month, and I can ask forgiveness, and God will forgive me, and I'll live like hell during the week. Maybe not live like hell, maybe just live like, not a Christian, and then I'll run back here next Sunday, two weeks later, and I'll, I'll raise my hand, or maybe not raise my hand, or tip God, my other favorite line. I'll do all these things and feel much better about myself. That's not a relationship. Any more than if, I, if, if you know, I, I, I slept with her on a Saturday night, didn't come back to next Saturday, and slept with her again on Saturday night, and then left and went and hang out. And did all, What kind of relationship is that? Eddie likes that one. Jeez. Why is it important that we avoid falling into comfortable Christianity? Because people are dying and going to hell. Our neighbors that don't know Jesus will spend eternity apart from Jesus. 
Our loved ones that don't know Jesus will spend an eternity apart from Jesus. Our co-workers that don't know Jesus will spend an eternity apart from Jesus. How do we live with that if we're Christians and we have a relationship with Jesus? How do we just go, oh, I'm going to live a comfortable life. I'm not so worried about you. How do we do that? And let me be real clear here. I'm not saying that I don't do it. Remember what we talked about, gaps. If you've been around here long enough, you hear me talk about gaps all the time. The only one that didn't have any gaps in his life was Jesus. Jesus was truth. There's no gap in what he said and what he did. Jesus was grace. There's no gap in what he said and what he did. Jesus was uh, uh, perfect. There's no gap. You and me, there's these gaps in my goal and through this word and through the power of the Holy Spirit is this, that I start closing the gaps. And what I was before I knew Jesus, I'm right here. And as I walk and allow God to sanctify me, I'm right here. I'll never get here because only Jesus is right here with no gaps. But my, my heart in the relationship with God is just close the gap. Just close the gap. Just bring the gaps down so I'm not a complete idiot. And by God's grace, I'm able to do that. People are dying because they don't know Jesus. And Jesus, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, lives in me. The hope of the gospel. How do I not give it? See, you and I have to look in the mirror today. James says in 123, we're just getting ready to jump into that book in, I think, two weeks. For, it is, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at the natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can't just come here, listen to the word, and leave. You can, but it's, it's completely contrary to what this word says. It's that be and do. I hear the word, and there's a do that happens. I'm changed. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not what I was. I can't do what I, I, I did in the past because of the power of Jesus. And looking at myself in a different way. I'm going to finish with this. Anytime a pastor says finish with 10, you know you're in trouble. 10 signs. No, I'm, 10 signs you're probably in the 94%. Okay? 10 signs that you're probably in the 94%. Remember when we said 6%. Live a biblical worldview. Six percent of Christians take this word and hold tight to it. And 94, they don't hold so tight. What I want you to do right now, and what I did as I was writing this, was it was it was humbling. I'm looking at it. I'm looking in the mirror, going, "Oh God, don't let that be me. Oh God, forgive me." There's many points I said, "God, forgive me." I want you to examine your life today. But I don't want you to just examine and walk out here and forget it. As we said in James, I want you to examine your life and I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to repent. I want you to, to take a hold of what God's word says. Ten signs are probably in the 94%. Number one, there's absolutely no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. I'm going to piss some people off right now and I don't care. If you're all in with one political party, I don't care which party it is, if you're all in and never feel any tension whatsoever with your Christian faith, it probably means your faith is too comfortable. If, if you, if, let's go to the left side. If you're a Trumper and you're like, Trump, 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 and you have no problem with the way he acts, then 
your politics and your Christianity are... If, if you're on the other side, whatever the other side is, Biden or Hillary, and you're, you're here, and, and, and your Christianity, your ethics, your truth doesn't contradict, doesn't fight with, go against what is being said. That's to be said on both sides. I'm not just saying the left. The right is just as bad and hypocritical as the left. I'm saying either. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you're too comfortable in your faith. Whether you're a lifelong Democrat or a diehard Republican, a balanced Christian faith should create a separation with politics at various points. It, I'm not saying don't be Republican, don't be independent, don't be Democrat. I'm, look, I'm all right with all that. But, but your, 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 your Christianity, your, your reliance on Jesus is first and foremost. A separation with politics at various points, a faith that aligns perfectly with one political party is suspiciously convenient and lacks prophetic witness. And we saw that in the last election when all kinds of Christians hitched their wagon to Trump. Oh, it's God's chosen. The reality is any leader is God's chosen, including the one we as president today. Don't give me that crap. You can't do it. You can't build that case biblically. Number two, there are no paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions that you have. If you have no uh, paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions, then your faith, you're probably too comfortable in your faith. What do I mean by that? If you never ponder or wrestle with the mind-boggling tenets of this Christian theology, then, then you are not reading this word. You're not wrestling with God. You're not, there are, uh, Trinitarian theology, incarnations, God's sovereign, coexisting in human action, the Holy Spirit's presence, uh, just a few of those things. And I'm thinking about this morning, and, and I didn't put it up there, but I'm thinking about God's grace and how, uh, you know, how can it be? How can it be, God? If you've never wrestled with it, you say, eh, you're probably too comfortable in your faith. Look, confessions of past. I have sat up here and preached messages. I remember distinctly talking about Jonah going, how the heck is this true? Don't judge me. Look in the mirror. And there's sometimes I just step aside and go, okay, God, I don't know how it's true, but I know you're God and I'm not, so I'm just going to step back and go, take it. That's the faith component that we have to walk in. A healthy, uncomfortable faith constantly rocks your world. It prods you. It blows your mind. It's a faith that leaves you restless to want to know more, not satisfied. You've grasped all there is to be grasped about God. In fact, it says in, in Acts 6, I believe, the Bereans were more wise than others because they searched the Scriptures for truth. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Don't take what I say and walk out of here as God off truth. Look in the Bible, match it up with what the Bible says, and, and know what I'm saying is, is what is spoken out of this word. Be as the Brians, searching the scriptures for truth. Number three, your friends and co-workers are surprised to learn you're a Christian. You're probably comfortable in your faith if your friends, co-workers, neighbors, family members are surprised to learn that you're a Christian. A sure sign that your faith is too comfortable is that nothing in your life sets you apart as a follower of Jesus. You just ride in the stream with everybody else. The point that even those who know you well can't tell you you're a Christian is a scary thing. In fact, I don't have time to get it, but there's some scriptures that talk about that that scare me. 
A comfortable Christian is one who easily blends in, looking and talking and acting just like the lost world. Number four, you never think about or even remember the Sunday sermon on Monday. Let me qualify that. I understand that it could be because the preaching is less than stellar. I get that. But if you're called to be here, God's grace to listen to this stuff is, is sufficient. You can do it. I promise you. But this is my point. Don't walk out of this building and not think about, wrestle with, have a conversation over lunch and throughout the week about what God is doing. We have everything. we got the notes online. We can go back and listen to it online. We've got studies that you can, you can wrestle through. It, 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 God's word grabs a hold of you. If Sunday sermons are so forgettable that you rarely recall them, after you leave church or Christianity, is probably too comfortable. Biblical preaching changes us. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. The division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This Word is alive and it changes me. This Word is alive and it, it renews me. This Word is alive and it, it, it jumps out at me. This Word is alive and it allows me not to be the man that God didn't call me to be, but to be the man that God has called me to be. Not in my own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word. Number five, you've never experienced God's grace after trusting Him with your relationships, your sex life, your money, and your time. Your, your, your Christianity is way too comfortable. If you've never experienced God when you said, okay, God, here's my relationship. I, I don't see a husband or wife out there, but I'm going to trust you in that. And then and, and allowing God in his grace to bring that person and then rejoicing in that. You have, you're way too comfortable in your faith. If you haven't stepped out, I'll go to the one everybody loves. If you haven't stepped out and tithed and said, okay, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know if your word says it. I'm going to trust you in this. And then you see God meet your needs. You go, oh my Lord, your time. Number six. You're comfortable. <laughs> Come on. I knew this would get some people. If no one in your life ever annoys you. If no one in your life ever annoys you. If you work, live next to, or go to church with people who are always easy to talk to always fun to be around, always close and aligned with your opinions, tastes, and preferences, your Christianity is too comfortable. You need to get into the middle of some, some places that people just drive you nuts. Don't look at me like that, you guys. I know what you're thinking. That's why I come to this church. The pastor annoys the heck out of me. It, it is, it's in those places that you go, okay, God, I need you. Okay, God, I need you. It's in those places that I minister, that I bring hope, that I try to bring grace, that I see God move. Number seven, you never feel challenged, only affirmed. You're way too comfortable in your faith if you never feel challenged, only affirmed. 
If you sit at this arm's distance as a Christian, if you're constantly going like that when, when I call and go, hey, let's go to lunch, let's grab coffee, or someone says, hey, let's talk about Jesus, or Eddie grabs a hold of you, or, or whomever, and you just kind of, you know, arm's length. If your Christian faith never confronts your idols and challenges your sinful habits, then it, and, and, but only affirms you as you are, this is a sure sign you're too comfortable in your faith. And the deal with that is this. Most of the church has no intention of being discipled or discipling. Therefore, this is completely irrelevant or, should I say, very relevant. Because if you have someone speaking truth in your life, you're going to get confronted and you're going to be offended by the truth of what his word says. If anyone that is ministering to you has any salt in, in, in truth of God's word because the truth comes and it offends you. Chris and I, as pastors, have a pastor. We had a pastor for 20 years, saying, and, and I, I felt great comfort because I, I knew that he would challenge her and deal with her sin. I felt good because there was another man that could see it finally. Submit my life to others. Be, just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm not submitted to other men. That's scary. If you go to a church and the pastor's not submitted to something outside themselves, they go, oh, just me and Jesus, run. Healthy faith doesn't just celebrate you as you are. That's what the world says. That's a humanistic, secular mindset. Just the way you are. They don't celebrate you the way you are. But relentless molds, uh, relentlessly molds and refines you into the likeness of Christ Jesus which is a beautiful but necessarily uncomfortable process. I am offended regularly by what the Word says of me. I am offended regularly by what that Word says no to in my life. I walk in the grace so that I don't have to walk in those offenses. But that Word is offensive. Because it grinds against everything that we are, broken, fallen, fallible human beings. That's why I have to sit in this daily. That's why I have to eat it and wrestle and, and, and renew my mind. Number eight, you've never, had to ha you've never had to have a truth in love conversation with anybody. It's always more comfortable to just live and let live, isn't it? Ah, Oh, Jimmy over there, he'll be fine. He'll find his way out of that hole and that, you know, oh, Mary, she'll be fine. You know, she's just sleeping with this guy. He's just sleeping with this girl. They'll, they'll figure it out someday. When there's an offense or sin that needs to be addressed, it's more comfortable to just avoid and, uh, when we see people making unhealthy decisions. But here's the problem. Love isn't opposed to truth. They're not at two opposite ends. In fact, love truth live together they stand together jesus is love remember no gap he is love jesus is truth and they are together in one therefore love isn't opposed to truth and if your faith doesn't include the capacity to speak truth hard truths in love it's too comfortable and i look at jesus and i look at the gospel and i look at at, at his his the way that Jesus deals. And he deals with people, but there's this compassion and love when he does it. And these people know that they're loved. Here's the difference. They know that they're loved, but they love their sin more. That's the problem. When your sin 
the love of your sin outweighs the love that Jesus has for you and the sacrifice that he gave you, we got a problem. Love isn't opposed to truth. Number nine, no one in your church or life could comment on any area of growth they've seen in you. You know you're too comfortable in your Christianity if no one's going, man, I love the way you're growing in that. Man, I've really seen God do some things in your life. Man, I, that's really cool, that, that grace you're walking in. Man, I've, just, I've seen your anger dissipate a little bit. We're working on it, Chris. We're seeing, if you're a Christian who's grown so little that no one in your church or any of your friends could identify any area of improvement, your faith is way too comfortable. It's seen. It's seen. Why? Because I'm a new creation in Christ, this Bible says. I don't go to my old ways. I'm a new man. People should taste and smell and, and see and experience Jesus in my life. Number 10, lastly, you've never had the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus in saving grace. Let me, let me tell you this, and this will ruffle some feathers. I get it. You're way too comfortable in your faith if you've never experienced leading someone to Jesus. Look, Jesus says, the good thing I'm leaving, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to go preach the gospel. And I'm not talking about pastor. I'm talking about you, the church, the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm going to give you, when you, when you, when you submit your life to me and you, you submit your eyes and your, your, your ears and your heart, I'm going to tug on your cloak and you're going to, I'm going to say, this person needs to hear the gospel. And you're going to stop everything you're doing and you're going to preach the gospel. What happens in that moment is up to the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, if you'll make yourself available, if you'll sit and you'll ask God, watch what He might do with others. And you're too comfortable in your faith if you haven't led someone to the Lord, if you're not open to God using you in that way, and there's, therefore there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about beating the hell out of the church. That's not what I'm saying right here. I'm saying just be open, ask God, and see what He might do. If you think it's someone else's job to preach the gospel, you're wrong. And you are not in this word. Because it's your job, it's my job to preach the gospel. And when I say preach the gospel, I'm talking about loving others well. I'm talking about the words. I'm talking about the actions. I'm talking about the whole thing that God calls us to. I believe that when you leave this place, that God wants to give you the opportunity to share who he is. That's who we are as Christians. But in this comfortable place that we live, we just, eh. we just kind of put Jesus in our pocket and go, oh, that's good. Seth, is that, can you hit that, Seth? See, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you. And, and, and God's heart breaks for the lost, as should ours. The heart of God is broken for those who don't know him. The heart of God breaks for your neighbors, co-workers, loved ones that don't. The heart of God is heavy with, with, with those who don't know him. It's the second Peter 3, 9, not wishing that anyone should perish, that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. 
and he's sending you, he's sending me to be that, the gospel incarnate, to go and preach, to love, to do, and be what God has called us to. That's the church. Look, if you want to come twice a month and on those other weeks you're preaching the gospel, great. Great. And in fact, in the, in the, in the fall, it's coming fall quick in September, we're going to have a service dedicated to that. What do I mean by that? You know, once sports comes, soccer, football, baseball, hockey, I don't know, whatever, like half the church goes and they got Sunday games. Okay, I'm all right with that. I used to get really ticked off about that. I'm like, what's the priority in life, Jesus or sports? I'm all right with that. If your mission field's your team. We want to call you up here, bless you, and send you. Don't come to church then. But go be a light in the soccer field. Go be a light at the football field. Make a difference in coaches and teammates and people's lives. The question, what do you see in the mirror? What do you see? If you look in the mirror and you see you're comfortable in your Christianity, the simplicity of the gospel is, I just, I need to repent. I need to repent. That's the beauty of communion. We're getting ready. It's not just about communion. We're going to do this corporately, but it's the beauty of God's grace that every single day I can come and I can repent and God is faithful to forgive. What do you see in the mirror? Is there any one of those 10 that just kind of pricked your heart? Is there anything that, that was said that just go, ah, a little uncomfortable? It all starts with repentance because the Bible says this and. James and, and I think first Peter, that, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The humility of, I'm not on the throne, Jesus, you are. And remember, and just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we need to trust Jesus first and foremost. Set aside secular views. Examine your life. Am I walking in a secular view of life? Set them aside. I need to care more about the truth of this word than my own life. And I need to worship Jesus alone. Jesus alone. How do we do that? How do we do that? You're going to be surprised by what I pull up next. How do we do that? This is what we put up every week. This is what changes care you know in your church. It's new. It's God's word. It's washing with God's word. How do I change? How do I get through? How do I be the man or woman that God's called me to be? I wash with this word and I have these conversations with Jesus every single day throughout the day. I worship through music and through words. I turn off ESPN radio or CNN or Fox News, and, and I worship the creator of heaven and earth, not the idols that the world has set up. Each and every day, I engage in a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Each and every day. And the days that I don't, you know. The days that I don't, people see. Um, let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, the 6%. I thank you for the picture of what that means. Oh God, let us not be comfortable. Oh God, let us not be comfortable in this
Christianity. Let us press in to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. If, if you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says this in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised from the dead, it says you will be saved. If you pray that prayer right now and say, oh God, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. Oh God, I can't. I, I have no ability to save myself. I want you on that throne. I step off that throne and I put Jesus on that throne and I repent for my sins. And I ask God to move. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, as, as we ready to receive communion, Father. Your word says that in the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine that represented the blood, his blood that was spilled for my foolishness. And he said, drink this in remembrance of me. And they drank. Lord, I thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name. There are communion cups. I'm not going to read that again. I want to give you a couple minutes. Just right where you're at with your eyes closed. Just, just examine your heart. Take the communion when you see fit. Examine your heart. Repent. 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 Humility comes when I repent. God's grace flows when I repent. And then trust Him. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son down the cross for my sins some 2,000 years ago that I might have life. God, I thank you that there's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more, Lord, heaviness, but I'm free in Christ Jesus, a new creation in Christ. Oh God, let us walk in that freedom and preach the gospel. Let us be the church. God, I thank you for your word. Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So we have a couple of questions. First one, when did you speak up or act against proposed laws? Are we to act or just pray? Well, the, the, if it's contrary to the, the higher law. Now, the Bible says that we're to submit ourselves to authority in the land until it contradicts what his word says. When are we to, all right, when do we stand up? Life. We stand up for life. Why? The Imago Dei. Imago Dei is the image of God. And, and, and when we take life, we're ki killing the image of God. I gotta stand up. 
That's, uh, you got to stand up. The church has to stand up. There's no other choice. I'm not going to be defined by it, though. You're not going to define me by that. Because what, what I need to do, what we need to do as a church, is step in and help these women. What we need to do is we need men to be men and take responsibility. We need to teach and disciple men to keep their to themselves. And then we need to step in with these women and we need to minister to, we need to counsel them, we need to walk them through difficult times. We need to financially get behind them. Don't just tell me don't murder. Do something. So whenever it contradicts God's law, we need to take a stand. And let me tell you, it's going to get tougher and tougher. It's going to get tougher and tougher. That's why we've done this series. You've got to walk in this biblical worldview. You've got to be built up. You've got to be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your own strength. And you're going to have to trust God. So much so that my God's more than able to deliver me from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, I'm willing, willing to be burned down. That's tough. I'm terrified to share my faith and know it means I'm too comfortable in my faith. Where, how do I start? Are there any tools that can help me? It's a great, I appreciate um, your humility in that, Chris. Thank you. In all seriousness, whoever wrote that, thank you. Thank you. Look, I, 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 this is, I've been 26 years in the ministry, been saved. There's still times I'm like, oh, Lord, do you really want me to do this? I was sitting at the coffee shop, and, and a lady, two ladies were sitting there talking. The Holy Spirit, as clear as could be, this is about a year or two ago, said, get over there and speak to them about Jesus. And I'm like, you're not talking to me, God got up and shared Jesus, and they were incredibly gracious and thankful. I don't know what happened beyond that, but it's an obedience thing that God called me to. So, so what I would say is this, first and foremost, is, is obedient to God's Word. Secondly, I would write out your grace story. We've talked about this, and we've done it in the church before. What I was before I met Jesus, just take a piece of paper, write it out, what I was as a sinner, and then the encounter that you had with Jesus Write out what that encounter looked like. Hey, maybe someone shared their faith with you. And, and I, you know, I met with, with Max, and he talked about Jesus and told me this and showed me the Scriptures and Romans and throughout the Scripture. And then I'd write the, the, the next part, the third part of it, what I am now and what God's done in my life and what that looks like. And as you meditate on that and you grab a hold of it, it gives you a foundation of, of being able to what you speak. Knowing Scripture is, is critical too. Thirdly, we need to do some kind of... Uh, class, if you will. I don't like that word, but we need to have some time. Look, you need someone in your life that is a step ahead of you spiritually, that will walk you through that process, that will pray with you, that will stand with you. Being submitted in a discipleship uh, relationship is, is crucial in that also. And then, But at the end of the day, there's, there's nothing that, you know, obedience to God saying step out is, is in that fear but God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Watch what he'll do. Watch what he'll do. He's faithful. How do I practically learn about theology? I'm struggling to believe. I often don't know where to turn or what questions to ask. Gosh, leave that up there because there's a lot there. 
Um, I think, first of all, the Bible talks very clearly about being in a church. Don't forsake the believers. Secondly, is finding, asking God, and finding that man or woman who, who can disciple you. What does that look like? We've talked about it many times, Mr. Someone who's ahead of you in the relationship with the Lord that's willing to meet with you once a week and go, who's going to meet with you once a week? If, if you want to know and you want someone, come and grab me. Because I know plenty of men and women who love the Lord who will meet with you. So the proactive part is, is, is you coming to me now and going, hey, pastor, I'm the one. How can you help me in this? I'll, I'll connect you. I'll connect you. And, and uh, it answers the last question. How, uh, you know, I often don't know where to turn to ask for questions. Well, when you're in a discipleship relationship, usually that person will be able to help you with it. And if they can't help you, they know where to go to send you to help you get the answer. Struggling to believe? I talked about it. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. But I know this, when I renew my mind with the washing of the word, my faith and my, my belief, and, and I watch God's miracle, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Then I have a moment, I'm going, what the heck? And then I go to this word, and it builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up. Seth, any more? That's it? All right. You know what? I'm going to pray again, and then I'm going to stand with us, and we'll go out. Oh, wait, yeah, one more. A last minute. This better not be a stump the pastor one. Um, what do we got? Right there. Maybe. He's typing. Seth's doing a great job. Okay, Living Water Ministries on YouTube is an amazing, re thank you, this is amazing, amazing resource for evangelism. Just search Ray Comfort. Uh, Ray, I love Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort lives at the, the pier in Santa Monica preaching the gospel. It, it just, there are so many good resources. Thank you for that, whoever sent that in. But it, it is a great resource, and as there are a, a many other great resources. So uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this time this morning. Lord, let us be the church. God, when we walk out this building, let us be your hands and feet. Lord, let us walk in faith. Let us walk in the hope of Christ Jesus. And God, give us opportunities to preach the gospel. Let us not live in the comfortability of American Christianity, but God, let us be faced with the truth of your word, Lord. Let us be the hands and feet. And Lord, thank you for what you did on the cross, that I might have life, but Lord, let me bring life that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in me. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we go out with this last song?